2: This is
3: the Tom Hartman Program. Let's start out with today's op-ed over at HartmanReport.com titled, Why Canadians Are Warning About the Collapse of American Democracy. Tucker Carlson, Fox So-Called News, right-wing billionaires a bought off Supreme Court, polluting industries, and the politicians they all own, not to mention a widespread, you could call it a gun culture, I'd say it's just, you know, marketing by the gun industry, have screwed up America so badly that Canada, Canada for God's sake, Canada is worrying about us. Seriously, Vincent Rigby was the national security and intelligence advisor to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau up until about eight months ago. And now he's joined a top shelf group of national security experts in Canada to warn the entire country and he's warning them about us, about the United States. This is a new report. It was prepared both for the Canadian public and the national security and police officials across the country and parliament. Rigby and his colleagues argue that if a Donald Trump type candidate, whether it's Trump himself or DeSantis or one of the other uh, Trump humpers who are you know, high on fascism, if one of them becomes president of the United States in, in two and a half years, in 2024, all bets are off. The co-director, along with Vincent Rigby, of this task force, and also an associate professor at the School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa, told the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, this should just chill you. He said, when we think about threats, this is Canadians talking to Canadians. When we think about threats to Canada, we usually think about the Soviet military threat. We think about Al-Qaeda. We think about the rise of China. We think about the war in Ukraine. All these things are true, of course, but so is the rising threat to Canada that the US possesses. That's completely new. That calls for a new way of thinking and a new way of managing our relationship with the United States, end quote. The report notes that numerous countries around the world that were democracies just 10 or 20 years ago are no longer democracies. Even Russia was briefly a democracy, a couple of years there. But this is what the report says. Again, this report put together by Canadian security experts, national security experts for the government and the people. Quote, for Canada, such developments, and it's talking about, you know, the the collapse of democracies around the world. For Canada, such developments are especially concerning because they are occurring not only in states such as Hungary, Turkey, Turkey, Poland, and Brazil, but also in the United States. They list a whole bunch of concerns from the U.S. exporting white supremacist violence to the possibility of American instability producing border problems on the Canadian border, Americans fleeing, I, you know, to Canada's dependence on America for military cooperation and global political intelligence. And I mean, this is their big fear is that if we get a Trumpy president, Donald, that that person, whether it's Trump or whether DeSantis or somebody else, will do what Trump, will finally finish the job that Trump started when he was president. He tried to destroy NATO. He did some serious damage to NATO. Look at what he did to Ukraine, for example. He prepared Ukraine, softened up Ukraine and prepared them for Russia to attack them. He attacked the European Union. He supported Brexit and and went after the EU. He, his first overseas trip was to Saudi Arabia, he sucked up to Russia, he sucked up to China, he sucked up to North Korea. If the United States was to get another Trumpy president and was to align itself with these kind of foreign autocracies, these foreign autocrats, Canadian observers are looking at this going, you know, America could lose its democracy, and then what about us? I mean, they're very concerned about this. Look at look at the damage that Donald Trump did just to our intelligence services while he was president. Two years into his presidency, he shut down the White House Office of Cybersecurity Coordinator and ended uh, and fired its uh, then director, a guy by the name of Rob Joyce. Mark Warner tweeted, Mr. President, if you really want to put America first, don't cut the White House cybersecurity coordinator, the only person in the federal government tasked with delivering a coordinated whole-of-government response to the growing cyber threats facing our nation. Well, he did it. And then, you know, what we discovered during the last two years of the Trump administration, after he gutted the cybersecurity office, was that the Russians had set up, literally set up housekeeping, well, not literally, but metaphorically set up housekeeping in the Commerce Department and the Treasury Department. And we have no idea what other departments they got in. We're still trying to figure it out. And it wasn't our government that discovered this, it was FireEye, it was a private company. And what happened when we discovered that the Russians were inside our, inside our offices, inside our government, because Trump had shut down the office of White House cybersecurity coordinator? Well, but what Trump did was then he fired Christopher Krebs, the head of the Department of Homeland Security's cybersecurity agency, decapitating both of our nation's top cybersecurity offices. And we're still dealing with the consequence of that. Canada is very concerned about this. I mean, you have 57 Republicans who just voted no on aid to Ukraine. They just voted with Putin. Rand Paul held up that aid for for a whole week. What happens if America gets a new president and aligns itself with Russia? The Canadian report says, quote, it will be a significant challenge for our national security and intelligence agencies to monitor this threat since it emanates from the same country that is by far our greatest source of intelligence. And then they go on to talk about, you know, this growing transnational ties between right-wing extremists here and in the U.S., here being Canada, The movement of funds, the movement of people, the movement of ideas, the encouragement, the support by the media such as Fox News and other conservative media. Canadians are very concerned, and they have good reason to be. I would argue that we should be concerned too. They've got bought-off Republican stooges in Congress and state legislatures, and now they've got six allies on this, or at least five allies on the Supreme Court. They're openly trying to end democracy in the United States and replace it with autocratic neo-fascism, just like they did in Hungary and Russia. Canadians have good reason to worry. This
2: is the Tom Hartman Program. And so do we.
3: Oh, I wanted to also point out to you, the Republicans have now notified the committee on president or this, this uh, commission on presidential debates that they're no longer going to play. This, in my mind, is another sign that the Republican Party is no longer a legitimate political party. It has become a neo-fascist cult. And by the way, this has been a long time coming. This started with the Reagan presidency. It was the George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush campaign in 1992 that, I believe it was 92, it might have been 88, but it was the George H. W. Bush campaign that pulled out of and, and, and refused to go along. With the League of Women Voters moderating the debates for, I mean, all the way, my entire lifetime. I remember the Nixon-Kennedy debates in 1960. I remember those. I was only, what, nine years old in 1960. I remember those debates. And that was the League of Women Voters working with the television networks to run these televised debates. And they did it With those debates, they did it, you know, I mean, it was just right straight on through, right up until either 88 or 92, when George Herbert Walker Bush said, no, we don't want this anymore. We want to have some say, we, the Republican Party, we want to have some say in how these debates are organized, because the League of Women Voters asks too many questions that we don't have answers for. And so this bipartisan Commission on Presidential Debates was created, where it's made up of Republicans and Democrats rather than the League of Women Voters, which is completely nonpartisan. And so they had Republicans and Democrats saying, well, let's create a safe space here for our candidates on both sides. But, you know, they got journalists involved and those journalists had this pesky habit of asking tough questions. And Donald Trump made a fool of himself in his last debate with Joe Biden. And so now they're saying, you know, 2024, we're not going to do it. We're just going to go on Fox News. We've got our safe spaces. These little Republican snowflakes. It's not just a tragedy for our democracy, it's also with a bullhorn, a statement of the republican party's complete repudiation of anything that resembles democracy or or what used to be called by the founders republican principles in our democratic republic this is not a good thing this is the latest sign that this party has is no longer legitimate as a political party maureen in geneva illinois hey maureen what's on your mind today?
1: well i'm calling about abortion i think they're going to be overturning abortion at the end of June or beginning of July, just because they feel that the wind is at their back and that they, they're they safe. They were going to wait until after the election in November, but I think they'll overturn it in June. It shows, I believe, and, and I suppose I'll get cut off for this, uh, just how powerful the Catholic Church is in the, this situation. Nobody wants to mention it, but the Catholic Church is everywhere, all over the radio stations and the schools that they have, uh, Catholic schools, and they're... Uh, they're the ones with the most money, and they're fighting this with everything they've got. I think you're they right. I think they're going to save the little babies,
3: for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, the, uh, and 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 the Catholic Church also is going to be driving the uh, okay. Once we get abortions outlawed, let's start outlawing birth control. That's next. Sure and, enough, one and, thing and, after another. Yeah, well, I and, and, and such on laws on have about, already been introduced um, in at least one state.
1: I want to go on about uh, this. This unusual thing that's happening in the northern states of uh, North Dakota, um, uh, Montana, and uh, northern Minnesota is uh, all of these native women being found along the truck routes who are either dead or um, um, uh, abused or raped and assaulted. It's going been going on for years now, yep. and uh, no one is being accused because of there's some sort of uh, confrontation between reservation law and state law, where the reservations cannot arrest and prosecute any of these men, and they know that they can get away with it, and the numbers just keep, keep increasing from yep.
3: month to month. It's a crisis. It's a real crisis. The problem is that if if a white guy who doesn't live on the reservation goes onto the reservation and and rapes a woman, And that's, you know, or murders a woman. Those are the two main crimes that we're seeing. Or vanishes a woman, just, you know, takes her hostage and turns her into a sex slave for the next two years in his house, not on the reservation. The reservation police, who control the reservation, do not have the power to leave the reservation and arrest it. And the local cops, your local county sheriffs and whatnot, particularly in, in many of these cases, they're elected and you know, they're elected by a white racist majority who don't like the Indians to begin with, the local cops have basically no interest in prosecuting these crimes. And you're absolutely right, Maureen, it is a, cri- it is a crisis, and I am hopeful that Deb Holland, being in charge of the Interior Department now, herself a Native American, and very aware of the situation, she's spoken on it several times now, will be able to move something in this direction. It Here, may require a federal reg, it may require a federal law to allow tribal police to leave to leave the reservation and have police powers in places that are not reservation.
1: That would be uh, hopefully that would happen. Yeah. I understand the series Yellowstone uh, was going to cover it. I don't know if it ever did. I don't.
3: It didn't really deal with it, uh, you know, sadly, but they there was a discussion of it in one of the Yellowstone episodes. Marina, I need to move uh, along, but thank, thank you. you so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Ellen in Crosby, North Dakota. Hey, Ellen. Well, how's North Dakota? What's on your mind?
4: Years ago, I read a book by Farley Moad called Cyber, and it was about russia young people in russia building cities on the permafrost quite a few cities i can't it was so many years ago can't remember the names of things but i'm wondering if that might be one of the re urgencies of putin attacking ukraine is that global warming is causing the permafrost to melt
3: yeah it is a crisis in many of the siberian cities just like it is a crisis in northern alaska these houses yeah. were built on permafrost, and as the permafrost melts, the houses are suddenly anchored into, into three feet of mud. It's a real crisis. I don't think that has anything to do with Ukraine. I think what the, okay. the whole Ukraine thing is that Vladimir Putin has been looking longingly. He's got these giant paintings of Catherine the Great and of Peter the Great and, and, and other you know, Russian czars who expanded the empire and fought noble wars. I believe he thinks of himself as the reincarnation of one of these people, or as at least in the tradition of them. That could and be. And he's and he's trying to get the band back together. He's trying to he's trying to re, rebuild the old Soviet empire which he was a part of. I mean, you know, he 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 was stationed in East Germany, and uh, and I don't think he's going to stop until he's stopped. And this might stop him. I mean, this might be the thing that stops him. But uh, you know, I, I I I'm I'm very very concerned about it. Alan, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Wayne in Las Vegas. Hey, Wayne, what's on your mind? The reason why I think people are so mad and
5: upset with our media landscape is the same reason that we're mad about our economics. We're living under a Republican neoliberal economic system. And after 1996, we now are under a Republican neoliberal media system. Agreed. Prior to 1996, everyone trusted that the news was giving them what they needed to know and was the truth. Everybody, trusted uncle, Walter Cronkite. Mm -hmm. But after that, as the Internet was exploding, we started seeing a lot more cable and satellite uh, proliferation and distribution. Industry and government got together to make new rules for the game, but they left the public out of it.
3: Yeah, it wasn't just I mean, industry and government. Are. I mean, what, what 96, what the Telecommunications Act in 96 did is it blew up the ownership rules. It used to be that you couldn't own a radio station, a TV station, and a newspaper in the same town. It couldn't. It used to be that you couldn't own more than a couple of dozen radio stations scattered around the country. Could, it used to be that you couldn't own more than a handful of television stations. And when those rules got blown up, Clear Channel bloated up to a thousand radio stations in a matter of, less than a year if, if my rec- recollection is correct cumulus same thing you know in the neighborhood of a thousand radio stations the old CBS radio but, and 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 then they they just binged on right-wing talk radio
5: but more importantly I think what what happened was and the, the public was not aware that the rules got changed right. no longer did industry have to worry about uh, reporting in the public interest That was 87.
3: That was the Fairness Doctrine, 87.
5: Well, that was the Fairness Doctrine, but essentially it's the same thing where everything was codified, where now it's on the public, their responsibility, because we've just opened up, deregulated everything, giving you so many different uh, channels and everything to look at, but it's your responsibility. To get the information
3: you need. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, Wayne. I, our our media landscape is something that I regularly rant about. There's a whole chapter of it, about it in my so, hidden history book on monopolies. Real,
6: real
5: quickly, people need to be aware. Pay attention to people who are giving you the news versus those who are reporting on the news.
3: There you go, Wayne. Thanks, thanks for the call. Dave, in Federal Way, Washington, hey, Dave, uh, our uh, former uh, 20-year national security, you wanted to weigh in on Canada being concerned about the United States melting down? Yes, 100 percent. They're 100 percent. Look, I connect the
10: meltdown of democracy in the United States to World War III. Canada may not. But they are right on an empirical level to say that it is a threat to them because we have a systemic problem we just don't want to look at. And in the interest of brevity, I will compare it to um, I will just criticize Joe Biden and Merrick Garland for a second. Why is only Stuart Rhodes and why is um, uh, the Enrico Tario, Why are they the only ones facing consequences? Both Trumpers and liberals are, are upset over this. Well, the reason why is sovereign immunity. And Merrick Garland and, 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 and Joe Biden together are like von Poppen in, in Germany, all right? We are enabling a Nazi sort of fascism to come to power in America. And, and Donald Trump over the weekend at the, at the NRA convention said, why are we giving $40 billion to Ukraine when we can't even secure our school? What they're going to do is, what Donald Trump and his minions are going to do is they're going to say that um, we don't even know who these people in Ukraine are. We need to put America first, right? Then what's going to happen they're is They're already Russia, saying that. You got
3: 57 Republicans in, in the House of Representatives who voted against Ukraine, and Rand Paul postponed the, the aid for an entire week. Yes. And in Afghanistan, there is Sirajuddin Haqqani who's actually in charge.
10: Sirajuddin Haqqani is actually packing he might even be Pakistani ISI but here's the bottom line he has already asked to join the Tashkent uh, Pact. It's like equivalent to the Warsaw Pact, but not as potent, right? right. And what's gonna happen is they're going to draw, Russia and China are gonna draw America and Donald Trump back into Afghanistan. And what they're gonna do, and in, in probably North Korea and other places, and, what they're go- and what's gonna happen is Donald Trump is gonna flip and become very anti-Russia in order to provide the vehicle Adolf Hitler needed. And that is war. And all democracy will be canceled. Wow. And the corporations corporations, and Donald Trump will merge.
3: Yeah, I get it, Dave. I share your concern. I, I don't think it's inevitable, but I share your concern. to
2: Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive.
3: Trump already tried to turn America into an autocracy once and tried to turn us over to Russia, frankly. He'll try it again if he gets a chance. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today?
8: Would you say that Canada is more of a democratic country than the United States right now?
3: Yes. They they do not have a Supreme Court that has said that their politicians can be owned by uh, billionaires and corporations. And they have, you know, relatively high taxes. And so they don't have the wealth inequality that we have, and they don't have regulatory capture or the capture of their government agencies and politicians.
8: Boy, we should be more like them. But yep. see, that's the problem—is uh, <laughs> might not happen. You know, I, I wanted to—I wanted to bring up that you know, if things got really, really bad, which they could, you know, there's the possibility that the two houses go Republican, more state houses go Republican, a Republican like DeSantis or possibly Trump wins in 2024, and I'm gonna want i want i am gonna want to get out of here. I'm not gonna want to stay. Canada is well,
3: not Canada is not opening their arms to Americans. It's it's unless I know, you've got a lot like of money, Australia, it's hard to get into that country.
8: Just like Australia, and New Zealand, the yep. same thing. Yep. So, uh, so it, we've got to like, make it
3: work here, Dennis. We have no well, choice. We do.
8: I I would hope that we can, uh, but. But I want to bring up something else, too, because you, you said the two major issues that should drive people to the polls and vote are obviously the abortion issue and the gun control issue. Those are two big things right now. but. You know, people when they're watching TV like CNN or MSNBC, and I know those are more liberal than Fox, which is horrible, or OAN or Newsmax. And I heard again this morning by, I think it was Kate Bolduan, and she had to mention, you know, Biden facing crises, inflation, especially gas prices. Yeah. When those types of things are said over and over and over again in a day, then people stop thinking about the abortion issue they stop thinking about the gun control and all these mass shootings and they start thinking about Oh, geez, I'm paying six bucks a gallon when, you know, it might might be worthwhile for them to dump that car and buy, buy a hybrid or buy an electric one. But that's the thing. It's propagandizing this idea that, well, Biden isn't really handling all this. And the well. top
3: headline this morning on the Financial Times was uh, words to the effect of Eurozone inflation hits 8% our inflation is only six percent we're actually doing a better job of man joe biden is doing a better job of managing inflation than every other developed country in the world um but yeah you're you're absolutely right dennis and it's it's uh it's very troubling and uh but but i think you know the bottom line and to, you know to your original point is that canada is more of a democracy than the united states in canada by the way on, a, on the abortion issue in Canada, abortions are not only legal at all stages of pregnancy; it's entirely between the woman and her doctor. Although late-term abortions are extraordinarily rare, um, but it is not only legal at all stages of pregnancy, but it is paid for by by Medicare Canada. It's it's free. Exactly, it's free. Yeah. And and with regard to guns, you cannot buy or own semi-automatic weapons in Canada right now. They're going to cap the number of of pistols, and uh, you know they they've simply declared weapons of war. Persona non grata, and they're going to begin a massive nationwide gun buyback program. I mean, you know, they're moving ahead. We need to look at what they're doing. There you go. Dennis, thank you for the call. Uh, We need to be paying attention to what Canada is doing. They are showing us how a functioning democracy works. And what's the main difference between us and them? Their Supreme Court has not legalized political bribery. Ours has. That's the big difference.
2: You're listening to Tom
3: Hartman. Dennis in Santa in- Inez, California. Hey, Dennis, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up?
11: Uh, how come Lewis DeJoy is still there?
3: The, postal board, the, the post office was spun off during the Reagan administration. It was the precursor to trying to privatize it. It was spun off from being a cabinet-level government agency to being a semi-private a quasi-private corporation, government-private corporation, sort of like Amtrak, and so it's no longer regulated or run by the executive branch of government as it was when it prior to Reagan, when it was a cabinet agency. Um, it is now private organization. It's run by the Postal Board of Governors. Um, the Postal yeah. Board of Governors have to be approved by the Senate to get to be installed. During the eight years of President Obama's presidency, every single person that he proposed. Mitch McConnell blocked and so when Trump came into office there was only one Democrat on the Postal Board of Governors who had been there for a long long time and Trump filled it he stacked it I think there's nine members and he stacked it so we're now down to uh, five to four uh, Congress just last week uh, approved two more Democratic nominees for the Postal Board of Governors so there's now five Democrats and four Republicans the problem is one of those five Democrats who is the the chair of the board was one of the original Democrats who is really a Republican uh, you know he's a Democrat name only and he's a big supporter of Louis DeJoy so we still need to get one more Democrat on there and so far nobody is saying that they're gonna retire so uh, I guess we're sort of waiting for somebody to get ill or uh, you know have a change of heart or you know you know whatever um, uh, but uh, you know our everybody's hope was that these last two nominations would do it and then and then that one original democrat who's always supported DeJoy just basically said he still supports DeJoy so we're stuck with him for the moment.
0: Well, I get emails now and uh, and they say "Hooray, uh, DeJoy is going to get fired."
3: Yeah. And, and then they, yeah, hope springs next- eternal. I think that what we need to do and and you know, there's not a large enough democratic majority in Congress to do this, but you know, given that the Postal Service was made semi independent specifically with the plan to privatize it you know by republicans during the the republican era during the reagan era i think we should reverse that i think it should go back to being a cabinet level uh, agency it's I, I mean the post office is is one of the few institutions in america that's actually in the constitution it's in article 1 section 8 uh that congress shall have the authority to appropriate funds to appropriate and spend money for postal roads um, it doesn't specifically say anything, you know, about how the post office has to be run, but, you know, it assumes that there's a post office, right? And so, I, you know, that would be my solution. But, you know, I, I think it's going to take a little longer, you know, before we get to that. So. Well, I was, hope, I was hoping not, but, uh, yeah. We're still it's missing the, the mailbox out in front of our building. I mean, you know, when, when, the, when the election was coming and DeJoy was trying to destroy mailboxes to to cut the Uh mail-in vote uh, for Democrats against Trump. Uh, They came and took one from our office building. (laughs) So now if I want to mail a letter, I have to give it to Sean and she has to take it home and drop it off at the mailbox at her place. So, I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Trey in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey Trey, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? I had a question about
5: sort of Trumpism as an entirety related to religion. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I feel like is that these Trump supporters sort of view Donald Trump as sort of like a foot soldier of Jesus, and that you know a lot of how these people follow the Bible sort of to a cultish degree. Mm-hmm. They sort of view Trump as someone who Jesus Christ sent to prepare for the coming of the end times or something. Do you see that with with this
3: movement? It's not that they uh, that they think that he's a Saint Paul kind of figure or. Um uh, or john the baptist actually who who prepared the way for jesus and and baptized his cousin um, it's that they view him as one of the old pagan kings king cyrus was a persian king what we would today call an iranian king and uh king cyrus protected the jews when they traveled through his land when they were in their 40-year wandering period if i'm remembering my biblical history correct and i may not be but it was something like that and so because cyrus wasn't a Jew, didn't sympathize with their, with their religion, but did uh, help them, did did protect them and save them. They view Donald Trump as a guy, you know, yeah, he's on his third wife, he he uh, you know grabs women by the crotch and brags about it. He's he's a pretty you know he's a reprobate. He's not he's not the kind of Christian that we are, right? Um, he's a he's a billionaire from New York City, at Fifth Avenue, and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's not, you know, a good old boy who listens to country music and likes to clean his gun while he's talking to his hound dog. He is the guy on our side, and that's enough. Daryl in Seattle. Hey, Daryl, what's on your mind today?
6: If Bullworth was, was done by Brannon, Steve Brannon, he was a part of that film for a short time. I think some advisor to Warren Beatty told him, you can't have this guy. He hates Jews. He hates everybody. He just loves money and himself. And uh, I could imagine... How the script might have went if he put money and had script approval and blah, blah blah. Yeah, Steve
3: Bannon had quite a career in Hollywood before he uh, before Is he became right? a. Yeah, he was involved with a number of movies and documentaries. Not not big stuff, you know. He was there.
6: Bobby, when I went for alcohol treatment, it was a three day co- a three week course, and I I walked in. I saw it was a it was a poor man's course. They have thirty thousand dollar courses up here where movie stars come, and uh, but I took the. Uh the Obama course, and I walked meaning three thousand for two weeks and uh I walked in and it looked like the set from the bar scene from Star Wars. <laughs> I looked at those people and I shivered I said, I'm bad, but I'm not this bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still got my looks I might be shivering and having low esteem so bobby all 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 I could say to you is get uh purge yourself for 72 hours that's what my wife kept hammered get out of there purge yourself of that alcohol and then get sleepy time tea talk to your doctor maybe a little arazipan. oh bobby's
3: on the other side of it bobby's all good now so he's sober and you tell him, well, me too but i did it in three days that's that's <laughs> impressive that's impressive and he's
6: he's talking about it still like it's I did as well when yeah. I walked out. Hey, Jim, oh, give me the a green. It was a
3: 40-year uh, struggle for him. I mean, that's that's. I, 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 I have so much respect for Bobby for coming out the other side of that. He's a, and for he's you, Daryl. He's a cool guy. And for you, Daryl. Uh, Is that he, what you call about? One,
6: no, uh, something uh, real important, I think, Tom. I, I uh, stopped listening to RTV because they took it away, and I think you said they were under finance, or Moscow gave up on the American market, or what was
3: it, Tom? I, you know, I don't know what finally uh, killed them off. It may have been the sanctions. I'm not sure.
6: So you have said, Tom, that if somebody like Trump gets back in in 2024, you would be the first one to go, correct?
3: To go what? Could
6: be, could be the, uh, uh, take your FCC license away from you.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have a license, but uh, I, uh, my, my 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 concern is that if this country flips fascist, if we get Ron DeSantis as president, or or uh, Donald Trump, yeah, and oh, and Republicans take the House and Senate, uh, they're going to make it very very difficult for any kind of progressive programming in this country. That's that's the bottom line from my point of view.
6: Okay, one last thing. Uh, Biden said uh, RTV was was childish. A couple of segments for uh, gangbanger type. Uh, you know, I don't mean, but you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, loud and and and. and And he said that as vice president. And I'm thinking Tom Hartman and the the other girl uh, that I like so much on our TV, on America, you guys are just six degrees. Yeah.
8: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
9: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
8: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
3: Scott in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind today?
0: Just thinking as each one of these these mass shootings occurs that, you know, expressing outrage and anger toward these Republican lawmakers, Ted Cruz, as an example, John Cornyn, uh, Abbott, it's just a waste of time. These are people that are amoral, at best immoral at worst
3: it's a waste of time uh, if you think it's going to change their behavior scott it's not a waste of time though if it, if you if it's going to cause the parade effect if it's going to cause other people around you to go oh i guess other people think like i do maybe i should speak out too except that one for one thing
0: tom the people of texas had an opportunity to throw cornyn out last election they didn't do it they had an opportunity to throw Cruz out two years before that didn't do it They'll have the opportunity to throw Abbott out in November and I'll bet you dollars to donuts they reelect him. They had an opportunity to throw Paxton out. They didn't do that. So you know, you get the government you deserve, you get the government you vote for. But expressing rage towards these guys, in my opinion, their behavior is exactly as expected. Yeah. And it's never gonna change. They're they're not gonna change because they are either amoral or immoral. That's just a fact of the matter. I think the voters should be outraged at themselves. And you know, in fact, Tom, the state representative of the county where Uvalde is, sits is a is a Republican. Right. Um, you know, I I don't know what to say anymore except that. We keep getting the government we deserve because these are the people we keep sending back. I don't think office.
3: it's that simple, Scott. I think you know it's a nice little slogan that goes back a long way, and uh, in fact, I think it might have gone back to Mark Twain or something. But but I don't think that the people of Texas deserve that government. I think what what's happening is it, that you've got a you've you've got hundreds of right wing radio stations across Texas. You've got dozens or hundreds of right wing newspapers across Texas. You've got a massive right-wing presence on the Internet and on Facebook and on other social media that are working 24-7 with enormous amounts of money behind them to convince people that they need to vote for Republicans because Democrats are going to turn their children gay or something, and, and, uh, you know, or worse. And it's right, all based Tom, on lies. It's all about promoting but, lies.
0: But Tom, but, Tom, how do you get around i mean you keep talking you're you're
3: saying that we should not be complaining about it i'm saying we need to complain about it more and louder i think i I don't see any other way than 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 pointing this out making this reality Mm -hmm. visible
0: no you and i agree on that point what i'm saying is express the express the outrage express the disappointment where where it should be expressed let's let's turn it inward uh, these elected politicians are behaving exactly as expected. Yeah,
3: I don't think slapping ourselves gonna... on the hand is going to be the solution or slapping voters around. Um, I, I, I do believe that people are waking up, and I think Beto taking on the Republican establishment is going to go a lot farther than people realize. Glenda in Grass Valley, California. Hey, Glenda, what's on your mind today?
6: wonder about the January 6th commission, With the Republicans doing all this voter ID stuff, they should be bringing in Chris Kobach and the secretaries of state and start making them testifying about how they went about purging all the Democratic voters and start bringing light to that. I agree. Because the Democrats have dropped the ball on that, and then Trump goes and goes and uses that... (laughs) In the election stuff, if they just would have did this back in 2016, we wouldn't be in this.
3: Oh, this goes back, I mean, this goes back to the 1970s, 1980s. Republicans have been doing this in a big way. But, um, I mean, look at Florida in 2000. Jeb Bush, Jeb Bush uh, cut a deal with with a company in Texas to take the, to the list of felons in Texas, which were more than 50% of them were people of color, take that list of felons in Texas and find all the people in Florida who had similar names and purge them from the vote, Florida voting rolls on the theory that they had all moved from Texas to Florida. That, that bounced 80 to 90,000 African Americans off the voting rolls in, in Florida just months before George W. Bush quote, won Florida by 537 votes in the presidential election of 2000. I mean, it, and, and most Americans don't even know that, right? The BBC did a whole expose on this. The whole world knew this, you know, that, that George W. Bush was an illegitimate president. But Americans don't know it. And I, I completely agree with you, Victor. I think, you know, it should be a, a, a top priority, the Democratic Party, to go out and raise hell about this. Thank you for, for raising the issue. Ziggy in Oneata, New York. Hey, Ziggy, what's on your mind today?
11: Hey, Tom. On Friday, a lady had called in and was concerned about her car being vandalized because she would have a bumper sticker on it, and I have a solution to that, and that's called a magnetic bumper sticker. And whenever anyone has a good idea, not only do I make a bumper sticker, but I also make a magnetic bumper sticker, which you can take off and on, Whenever oh. necessary, and actually, I think it's better for the um, paint. Yeah. So I thought for the I would uh, mention that. Oh, that's yeah, great. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and also I'm going to mention uh, that I've started a new site called endthebribesystem.com. Okay. And if you go to that and you push on the blue button in the center to visit store, you can find the items that I'm producing, most of which come from the uh, Tom
3: Hartman Show. Okay, endthebribe.system.com is. Do I have that right, no, Ziggy?
11: It, yeah, end the bribe system. All the, one
3: word. Right. Dot com. Okay. dot com. Cool. And yeah. 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 I, I'm. I'm. I'm totally with you on magnetic bumper stickers too. That's great, Ziggy. Thank you very much, yeah. and good luck. I, I wish you the very best, Carol in Menassee, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind today?
4: Oh, I was just thinking about one of the things you said a a long time ago and have repeated, but not recently, uh, about the reframing, and that is, name one thing that the Republicans have done for the average American, not the rich American, but the average American. And it's from a speech, really, that Harry Truman made uh, when he was running for president. Mm -hmm. But The main problem we're having here in Missouri is corporatism. We cannot get an appointment with a specialist for something that might be cancerous for two or three months. The The corporation, the insurance companies bought up practices. The practices fired a lot of people. You, the, the then they're dealing their they own the uh, drugstores, a lot of them not the not the independent ones yeah and the corporatism has made life miserable every day uh, I talk to friends who are having horrible problems because of the changes that the corporations have made in almost everything
3: yeah no i I get it Holly and and it is this is uh, you know a lot of this comes out of Reagan's stopping the enforcement of the Sherman Act back in 1983, and and no president starting again. And I, I am, you know, there is there is some hope, I think, you know, within the Biden administration, they're talking about starting to enforce antitrust, and I sure hope they do. Holly, thank you for the report from Missouri. Brent from Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Brent, what's on your mind today? I just want to put forth an idea I've been thinking about the past couple of
7: days. Um, you know, all too often, uh, over and over again, we hear uh, the progressive uh, Democrats talked about how all too often the minority is winning out on uh, on issues, on the most important issues of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we no longer really have a true democracy right now. The rich and the powerful are. Well, we've never had a I mean, true democracy,
3: Brent. We've just been trying to on improve on it generation after generation for 240 years. But yeah, I, and exactly. we have backslid considerably since the Reagan Revolution.
7: Exactly. So what I was been thinking lately is it, it's time for us to uh, modernize our our democracy I think we need to make a big change it's been a long time since they've been delivered you know the mail on a horseback and um, I think that it would be good if we could have uh, uh, people like uh, the most popular politician you know in the in our country like Bernie Sanders if when if they write out bills and stuff that we have a national popular vote where we all vote on the issue where I have no more or no less power than Mitch McConnell when we vote on these issues and all the important issues of the day could be put up as a national popular vote i think that the progressive democrats push for this and um we would get our agenda passed at a speed that we need now we got climate change and all these issues that are are, drastic and so we need to we need to pick up speed on how we pass these issues and if we had a national popular vote i think we went out on. so let's of, let's uh, just define
3: terms here because if you go to national popular dot com i just i just wanted to check to make sure i had the url right for everybody that's the one about oh no, replacing that's, that's, the electoral the college what you're talking about is yeah. a national referendum system right uh, like, yeah, like,
7: I, would, I would say that we get together and we vote, and every each vote is counted separately. It doesn't matter we, which you could tally the state together, but each person has no more power than any other person. Yeah, the problem, maybe, the, Brent, I completely understand what you're saying. But there's a
3: serious problem with that. There's a very serious um, problem with that. And we saw this uh, here in Washington state, just north of me, we're, we're in Portland, and so we get the, you know, and Vancouver, Port, Vancouver, Washington is just on the other side of the Columbia River. And it's a, it's one of the larger, it's not one of the really big towns in, in Washington state, but it's large enough that it's got its own media market. And we see the ads that are directed at Washington, you know, for the political ads here in Portland. And uh, back about two, three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, when there was a, uh, an election, um, Jay Inslee, the the governor of Washington, had proposed a, a uh, voter initiative that you know voters could vote on to, to put into law uh, like what you're talking about uh, you know a, a national popular vote on this statewide in the state of Washington that would have uh, slightly taxed fossil fuels and returned that money back to to consumers Very straightforward thing it's been proposed in a lot of places um, and you know it's generally considered relatively uncontroversial the fossil fuel industry came in and carpet-bombed us with television ads with the former secretary of state for the state of Washington who looked like and talked like Mr. Rogers and never identified himself on the air as a Republican, although he was, saying, well, you know, uh, Jay Inslee and all these guys, they're all well-intentioned, but this is going to cause your gas prices to double, and this is going to destroy the economy. And that that proposal, when Jay Inslee had proposed it, and again, this is something that the majority of people would like to see happen, right? When Inslee proposed that, it had like 70, 80 percent popularity. By the time the Republicans, by the time the fossil fuel industry was done brainwashing people in Washington state with this massive multi-million dollar campaign, it went down to defeat substantially, a substantial defeat, as a consequence of that. So I get what you're saying, uh, Brent, and, and I would love to see something like that happen, but not until we've cleaned up the Supreme Court's proclamation that money is the same thing as free speech. And if industries want to want to insert themselves into politics, they can do it. That is the problem. And that's what we've got to deal with first. But otherwise, great idea. Deidre in Dallas, Texas. Deidra, you're on the air. What's on your mind?
9: Hi, Tom. First-time
3: caller. Thanks well, thank for all you. you do. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Um,
9: I wanted to respond to the caller you had on before the break, who said that we deserve the elected officials we get.
3: Yeah, I don't believe that, but yes, go ahead.
9: don't uh, no, either. <laughs> um, we just moved to Dallas from Knoxville back in December, mm-hmm. and I'm coming from the land of Marsha Blackburn. <laughs> mm. uh, and from having been there, we were there for about eight years. And I realized from having been there, people are just massively uninformed. Yeah. And I say that because just based on the local news, uh, the local news there doesn't really cover anything but feel-good stories. In the first five minutes of each local newscast, you'd hear what was going on with sports at the University of Tennessee. Right. And you'd hear a lot about Dolly Parton. One of the late newscasts once did a story about spiders. I'm not kidding. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Um, I worked with someone who told me the only news she ever heard were the little blurbs on the radio in the morning while she was getting ready for work. Yeah. That was it. Um, When the gubernatorial debates were happening a couple years ago, they weren't announced and talked about to encourage people to watch them. So unless you were in the know and kept up with that sort of thing, you knew to look for it. But if not, you were just out of luck. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I a serious media problem
3: think. you know prior to 1987 deidre we had this thing called the fairness doctrine and exactly. you know people think it meant equal time for opposing opinions and in fact that language was in it but that was exclusively for owners of radio and television stations so in other words an editorial yeah. position but the one thing that it did that was really important that everybody ignores and that we needs to be brought back is it required radio and television stations to do something called programming in the public interest. And that was interpreted by the Federal Communications Commission to mean actual news. So for radio stations, that meant five or six minutes of actual news at the top of every hour. And for television stations, that meant at least a half hour to an hour, excuse me, of actual news during prime time. And, And, you know, Reagan ended that in 1987 and Barack Obama took it off the books in 2010. And uh, so it's not even, you know, part of the federal communications code any longer, tragically. And I, I really think that that's what we need to get back to.
9: Absolutely. It's just they're incredibly informed and, and they don't either either don't want to know or learn or they're so wrapped up in their own lives. They don't take time to get interested or
3: involved, yeah, which is which is understandable. People are busy. People are overworked. People are underpaid about, you know, we got kids. We got a million things going on. Um, it makes perfect sense. And the media is not informing us the way that they used to in the way that they should. Deidre, thank you so much for the call. I hope you call again. Great talking with you. And thank you for uh, for listening to us there in Texas on Sirius XM. Whoa, sweet man cave. this is the optimism for the day this this it just gives us tremendous hope i've referenced it twice already in the program but I, I wanted to just lay it out we had this guy kurt schrader here in oregon who was a member of the house of representatives he got reelected over and over and over again he had big money behind him mostly from the pharmaceutical industry his father was a pharmaceutical ex, uh, executive a, a, a wealthy executive with as i recall pfizer one of the one of the big pharma companies Anyway. He voted, you know, he, in fact, he was part of the coalition that that stopped Build Back Better. And he voted against in the House of Representatives and fought any effort to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices. Um, Two things that, you know, the majority of people in his district didn't go along with. So when the primary election came along this year, he figured, "Eh, you know, I got millions and millions of dollars, you know, from these big donors. I'll be doing just fine. And along comes Jamie McLeod Skinner, who says, no, you know, you're not doing what we the people want. And I'm going to call you out on this. She was on this program calling him out. I called him out in three or four of my op-eds and multiple times on the air. Now, I, I broke my own rule, except that I didn't. My, my, my rule with regard to endorsing in primaries is I don't endorse, generally, I don't endorse primary candidates unless I know them and their district. Now, I don't know Kurt Trader personally, nor Jamie McLeod Skinner personally, um, but I know the 5th Congressional District. It starts just about 10 miles south of me here, maybe 20, something like that. And, uh, you know, so I know the area and I know the issues. And I know that Kurt Schrader had been coasting on people not paying attention to what he was doing. And Jamie McLeod Skinner started campaigning in the district and calling him the Joe Manchin of the House of Representatives. Joe Manchin, of course, is in the Senate. And it stuck. And the, uh, four county, as I recall, it might have been three, but I'm pretty sure it was four county Democratic parties, including two of the counties that Schrader's running in. And if my recollection is correct, two counties that he's, he wasn't running in came out and explicitly endorsed Jamie McLeod Skinner over Kurt Schrader. Well, they finally finished counting the ballots last Friday, and I was not live on the air on Friday, so I couldn't share this with you. But uh, they have concluded that McLeod Skinner, who was, by the way, was endorsed by Elizabeth Warren. Um, Schrader had been endorsed by Joe Biden. But that they called the election now for Jamie McLeod Skinner and, and you know, who Elizabeth Warren uh, endorsed. He is the second member of the so-called Unbreakable Nine. This is a group of House Democrats who helped to uh, tank Build Back Better in the House and uh, the other, another one, Carolyn Bordeaux, a Democrat of Georgia, also a member of the Blue Dog Co- Coalition, she lost a primary race earlier this week to Representative Lucy McBath, a progressive. Progressives are winning. It's a good news. It appears to me, you know, I, you've heard me talk before about these 80-year cycles that Strauss and Howe wrote about in their book, The Fourth Turning. And how these 80-year cycles come about. I think that there's a a smaller cycle within the larger cycle. And I think we're transitioning into one right now. I think it's real. I think it's happening. And it gives me considerable cause for optimism, even, even in the context of my earlier comment that when Republicans win, rich people win. And when Democrats win, it's just we the people who win.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: In other words, even in the face of great wealth, great money, great political forces, progressivism is winning right now. Let me just lay this out for you, and you can uh, you know, feel free to reality check this with me. Strauss and Howe, in their book The Fourth Turning, argued that roughly 80, every 80 years throughout American history, and they take this all the way back to the 1600s, actually, But that roughly every 80 years, we have a crisis, followed by a war, followed by a rebooting of America, and that rebooting has historically always been in a positive and more progressive direction. They argue that the reason for this is partly that after 80 years, people forget the lessons, the hard-learned lessons that were learned 80 years previously. Because the people who knew those lessons are now you know, so old nobody's paying attention to them or they're dead. As, that's part of it. And the other part of it was that there are these four generations. A generation is roughly 20 years. So 80 years is roughly four generations. So you start out with a generation, let's, for example, say the generation that experiences the great crash and the war. And they fight, they, you know, they live through the great crash and they fight the war. And then they give birth to a generation that just carefully and quietly rebuilds the country. And that generation then gives birth to a generation that says, you know, my parents worked their butts off to rebuild the country, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. I'm going to go for self-actualization. I want to meditate. I want to take some LSD. I want to know what the world is like. I want to explore spirituality. This, that, that being that, that uh, third generation, as it were. That generation then gives birth to a generation that says, okay, my parents thought they could get enlightenment, but it didn't work out that way, and, uh, you know, all I got is this lousy t-shirt, so I'm going to make as much money as I can. This is the fourth generation. And that fourth, basically, kind of greedy generation then blows everything up with their greed, creating a new crisis, creating a new war, and this is how the 80 years goes goes about. I would like to add um, kind of Hartman's variation on Strauss and Howe's theory. And that is that within each one of those 80-year periods, it was 80 years from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War. It was 80 years from the Civil War to the Great Depression of World War II. It's 80 years from, the, from World War II to now, roughly. That within those 80-year periods, there's actually... 40-year pieces and the first 40-year piece is when we actually do get more progressive after the american revolution hey you know it's a brand new country and we're going to pass the bill of rights and do all this kind of school stuff and then of course 40 years in, in which would be the 1830s you get the rise of oligarchy in the south the rich rise up they try to take over so the second half of that 80 year period is where the rich people and the big corporations basically try to take down the country then we had the civil war then we had reconstruction we had a progressive period and then of course there was the backlash against that you know the the uh, 1896 decision um that that uh, is separate but equal and all that kind of stuff and and boom you get more conservative then you have a war a crash and a war and then you have FDR and you get more progressive and then you get Reagan 40 years into it in 1980 and you get more conservative and i'm of the opinion that we are at the tail end of this 40 year period of conservative dominance of american politics that we are in a crisis not we're in four but we are in one we have a climate crisis We have a gun crisis, we have a financial crisis, we have public health crises. And out of all this, I believe is gonna come a new progressive era. And I think things like, to tie this into my previous rant, I think that things like Jamie McLeod Skinner being elected here in Oregon over Kurt Schrader are proof of this.
2: been listening to tom hartman for audio and video archives visit tom hartman.com